the story of Joseph. We are in a series in Genesis on the story of Joseph and watching him as he forms as a character and Morrison changes and becomes God's man. Uh, we learned last week that he came out of prison and that he was established in, as the prime minister of all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh, which was amazing. And we said something really simple last week. It's uh, two words. Does anybody know what the lesson was last week in two words? Yes. <laughs> Yes, God exalts. And so we found out last week that God exalts. He's the one in control of where we are, what power and position and authority that we have. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about Joseph at work. And so we're going to read the rest of chapter 41. And I'm going to read it for you as we see what Joseph does after he is established as the prime minister of Egypt. Verse 45, chapter 41, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Panea. Say that three times fast. Zaphonath Panea. And he gave him in marriage, mm -hmm, Asenath. They must have liked that enough. Um, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. So it just says he went through all. It's like, it's like he just launched out of prison. He just covered the land of Egypt. He got all, went all over the place on his new car. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Now, why was he storing up grain in the seven years of plenty? Because there was going to be seven years of famine. And that's what we learned last week. That was the dream. That's what God was communicating through, through the dream of Pharaoh. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Um, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then you got seven years of plenty are over. In verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Give us bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The word of the Lord. Story of Joseph after Joseph gets in uh, out of prison. The story of Joseph getting exalted and uh, in the court of a place where he's an exile. Does anybody know what exile means? 
Exile means that you are not in your home country. By force sometimes, or by disaster sometimes. You're not in your home country. You're in exile. So he's in exile in, in Egypt. Homeland for him is Israel, the Canaan's land. Foreign land for him is Egypt. That means he doesn't speak the language. At least he does now, but he didn't when he got there. And that means he doesn't dress the way they do, talk the way they do, think the way they do. That means he doesn't have the same God as they do. So he's very different, and he's living in exile. So he finds himself in Egypt being a witness to a God that the Egyptians don't believe in. He finds himself in a land where he is witnessing to a God and values and mores and, and, and uh, what attitudes of a God that the people of Egypt do not actually believe in. This is a theme throughout Scripture. You find people in exile witnessing to a God that nobody around them knows. Which is great if you go to work every day with people that don't believe like you do, don't think like you do, don't have the same values that you have, don't think about marriage the same way you think about, don't think about sex the same way you think about sex, don't think about things the way you think about them. They just have a completely different worldview than you. If, if, if that's just like you, then that's just like Joseph. There's so many people in the Bible who have who find themselves being in a foreign country around people that don't believe like them. You're like, why would God do that? Doesn't God want us to be comfortable and safe? I mean, he would put us, he put you around people that think like you, talk like you, walk like you. I mean, wouldn't God do that? Why is he throwing people in Egypt, throwing people in Persia, throwing people in Babylon, and throwing them all over the place so that they can be a witness to him? Why is he making it so hard? So, he, so in the Bible, you find these characters like, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the shortest guy in the Bible. Nehemiah, okay, Bible joke. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <clears throat> Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king. He's holding the cup that the king drinks from. Nehemiah, the cupbearer. He's, he's, he's the cupbearer to a guy that worships another god. He's becoming buddies with the king who represents the authority of the other kingdoms, I mean, of the other gods in his pantheon. And so he's right there. And I don't know how Nehemiah doesn't start adopting, you know, some of the, the ideas and morals of the people that he's there trying to witness to because he's close. He's the cupbearer to the king. And you would think he would kind of change his, change his, uh, his ideas just to kind of make sure they're more like the king so he can kind of get in good with the king. But no, you read the story of Nehemiah, he's, he's fierce for God's people. He's fierce for God's word. And he's, and he's committed to the end, and he represents God well. And then you got Esther, and you got Daniel. You know, Esther, she was the queen. We talked about her last week. And she, she became queen, just as normal Israelite girl, goes through the harem, becomes queen. And then she starts to be a representative of God in the dangerous places in the courts of royalty. Daniel, he becomes a representative of a God in the, in, in, in the, in the leadership of Babylon. He, and he... And he didn't he refused to obey the legislation against him that he shouldn't pray to his God and he and he was a witness to his God in his time and man I could just go on and on and tell you the stories of all these people that God actually places in the midst of nowhere in the midst of where people don't believe like they do don't think like they do why would God do that why would God do, I thought he I thought we were supposed to sort of you know 
I don't know, circle up the wagons because the Indians are coming and, and, and get away from the world. But God keeps putting people in the middle of the world. So I want to ask you, why are there so many common stories from Joseph to Moses to Esther, all these people? It's like you start looking at the theme and you're like, these people are witnesses in exile. And the reason why God has these stories in the Bible is because he wants us to learn how to be witnesses in exile. You're like, well, I'm not in exile. I'm American. I'm American. I'm not in exile. And, you know, Land of the free, home of the brave. Now, you may be an American and love your country, and there's nothing wrong about that. But the Bible actually says that you're in exile. And some of you got so, have gotten so comfortable. You've gotten so comfortable being just you, American self, with your compadres, and there's nothing different about you. But God says you're actually supposed to look alien. You're supposed to be in the midst of people who are different and still be an alien. How mean of God. He wants us to do both of those at the same time. Be in the midst of people that think and think and act different than us. And also, you know, it's just so much. But anyways, so in exile, Joseph finds himself in exile. All these other people find themselves in, in exile. And the reason is because God wants us to learn how to live well in exile. And you and I are exiles. Let me, let me point you to where it says that. First Peter 2, and that's in the Bible, talking to Christians. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners. That's a big word for foreigner. And exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's like stay away from the things of this world because you're an exile on earth. Joseph was an exile out of Canaan's land, but Christians are exiles on earth. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So like live well as an exile. Gentiles just means nations. So keep your conduct among the nations honorable. So like live well as an exile. Be a good witness as an exile. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's just saying they want, God wants other people to glorify him and know him. So he puts you in exile. And you wonder why you were at work with so many people that don't believe like you do. Because God likes his people to be in exile. Joseph finds himself in a position of exile. So the, the story today that we're going to read, or that we've already read, it teaches us like three things about how to live as an exile and how to be a witness as an exile. We're going to go through those three things, and you're probably going to write them down because they're so memorable. Well, it's so memorable, you may not even need to write them down. But the first one is you got to move in. If you're in exile and you get to somewhere, the first thing you got to do is you got to move in. Is that pretty simple? Joseph... He, uh, when he was called out of prison, it said that he shaved. It wasn't tr- the Bible's not trying to tell you that he shaved because so he cleaned up, so he got out of prison, cleaned up, and went to Pharaoh's house. No, the Bible's trying to tell you he took a haircut like an Egyptian. You know, you've seen the paintings on the walls. The Egyptians, they're all shaved. And so Joseph's like, if I'm going to the court of Pharaoh, then I'm going to look like them. So he moved in. He moved in and he got haircut like they like them. And then they they he got dressed like them. They put the clothes on him that they that they wore, that Pharaoh wore. He even had the gold chain. He had he had all the stuff of Egypt on him. He moved in. He learned Egyptian. 
He, can you believe that learning a language is a very hard thing to do? This guy had to learn a language. He learned Egyptian, continued to speak Hebrew, became bilingual. This guy really pushed and moved in. He even got his name changed to Astanath Panea. He, he got his name changed. What a cool name. He, he got his name changed, changed his clothes, changed his haircut, got a Egyptian job, had Egyptian babies, had Egyptian wife. I mean, the dude moved in. So one thing you got to learn about being in exile is that you got to move in. You can't be so afraid of the place that you're afraid to get close to the place. You can't be, you can't be afraid. So he even, he even took that name. I remember, I remember in Tanzania baptizing some Muslims, and, and they would always have the question, should I change my name to a Christian name? Should I change my name to a Christian name because I have a Muslim name? Should I change my name to a Christian name? What do y'all think they should do? You're baptizing a Muslim? Does their name change? Or does, their name, does the name change them or do you change the name? You change the name. Can you baptize someone named Muhammad and keep their name Muhammad? They don't have to have a Christian name, do they? You know, it's okay for them to move into their neighborhood. It's okay for them to be called Sharifu, Abdallah Razik, Abdurrahman. These are the people that I baptized, and I said, don't change your name. You, you're going to be persecuted, but don't be persecuted for, for stupid stuff. Okay? Your name's not what you need to be persecuted about. Don't go in there with a bullhorn and just start telling everybody, you know, go in there. You got to be smooth like Joseph. You got to go in smooth. You got to move in. And, and you know you know what? You might have to, you might have to do some things to, to operate and move in in that society. It might be a little different. So we, we baptized these guys, and we would keep, they would keep their names. I remember going to Tanzania. I had to learn their language. I had to move in. I had to learn Swahili. Y'all know how to speak Swahili? No. Well, you do if you've seen Lion King. If you've seen Lion King... Asante sana, squash banana. That's thank you very much. Squash banana. So, anyways, so a safari, that's a Swahili word. Um, Rafiki, that's a Swahili word for friend. Did you know that you were coming to Swahili class? So I had to learn Swahili. I lived in Tanzania, and so I got to know what it's like to just really move in and feel like an exile in a place. And so I, I, would, even take, I would even take a name from that society. I took my name, you know what my name is? Over there, my other, I have a Swahili soul, by the way, and I preach different, too. I'm, I'm a little louder, actually, over there because they just like it wild over there. Um, my name is Daudi. Daudi. Does that sound cool? That's the name of a prophet, David. Prophet they recognize. So I, got a, I got a prophet named Daudi. And, you know, I got, I got my name changed. I, got, I changed my life. You know, I would even wear this, like, Muslim clothes. All right, don't tell my bosses, Okay. It's just me and you in here. This is probably ain't recorded anyways. You know, so I even, I, yeah, yeah, I actually changed my name, did all that stuff, and it would even wear um, like a robe uh, and the, the prayer robe and like long white robe, and I'd have the prayer cap on, and I'd be like preaching the gospel. Are y'all okay with that? Is that okay? Can I do that? Or do I need to have a Christian haircut? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all got to understand something about Christianity is we can flex. Like we can do stuff that other religions can't do. In other religions, you got to dress a certain way. You got to eat a certain way. And you got to be a certain way. And all these details, these formal, we'll call them formal details. But Christianity is about the heart. And I can have a name like Muhammad and still preach the gospel. Glory to God. Okay. 
So I would, I would dress like that, and, I'd even, and I would preach the gospel, and, 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 it, and it worked, because you got to move in. This whole philosophy I'm talking about is called, it's called incarnational ministry. Can, can y'all say incarnation? Incarnation, incarnation means enfleshed. When you say I'm doing incarnational ministry, what you're, what you're saying, we're getting smart today, guys. This is good. What you're saying, if you get incarnational ministry, what you're doing is you're doing what Jesus did. Jesus moved into the neighborhood, and it even says that he tabernacled among us. That means he took a tent and he lived in it among us. In the scriptures, it says that he moved in. He became incarnational. He learned our language. He dressed like a Jew. He, he, did, he ate like a Jew. He, he became friends with Jews. He said, I'm going to reach the Jews. And so what he did is the first thing he did is he moved into the neighborhood. And we're talking about how to live as an exile. Ultimately, we're going to look at Joseph and we're going to look at Jesus. And both of them teach us this one thing. you got to move in. Some of you people don't even want to get that close. So we're going to talk about the next, the next, the next ones be different. you got to move in, but you got to be different. And, and some of you fall on the you don't want to move in side. Some of you fall on the you ain't different side. But some of y'all just like take the helicopter approach, just get away from or take the let's circle up the wagons so the Indians are coming, like approach to culture. And you sometimes you got to be a little bit open to culture because you're incarnational, because you're moving in, you're in flesh, and you're going to have to get close, and you're going to have to do things that you might not like. And my neighbor drove by when I was putting, when Chris Barrett was there and, and Dan was there. Some of these guys were like taking my furniture and helping me move in. It's so nice. And, and I was so glad. My neighbor drove by and he's like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And I was like, hey, yay. And he says, come by and let's drink a beer together. And I was like looking around. I was like, I don't know if this is a drinking church or not, you know. And, and, and I said, okay. I said, okay. And so, he, you know, he wanted, he wanted to share a beer with me. He didn't know who I was really from Adam's house cat. But, you know, am I going to move into the neighborhood or not? So what would y'all do in that situation? And so in that situation, I walked down the street and I, and I ate a taco and I drank a beer. with my. Is this recorded? It, and I drank a beer with my neighbor, Carlos. And later he came to church, which is cool. Um, so I, I moved in. And I'm not the example. That's just a kind of a humorous example. The real examples are you guys and what you're doing every day to be near people who are different than you. And the, 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 the approach that you want to take to moving in is becoming more incarnational. Why? Because Jesus did it that way. Jesus moved in. Now, the next thing you got to do is you got to be different. You got to be different. Now, if you just move in, and some people will try to be so different that it, it, they ain't even moved in. They ain't even moved. They ain't even got close enough. You got to get close. Jesus went to the party. Jesus enjoyed the party. And some of y'all need to go to the party. And, but when he was at the party, he was talking about the things of God. So he was different. So, how, how, you know, Christianity, there's a little bit of yin and a little bit of yang. It's like you got to move in. But at the same time, on the other hand, you got to be different. You got to get close. But you got to be in exile. So that's, that's the dance of being a Christian is a witness as an exile, and that is the dance of a lifetime, and it's not easy to figure out how to walk that tightrope. But you guys are big. You guys are up to it. You guys are missionaries. It's a razor, razor's edge you got to walk on. Paul said, I am all things to all men so that I might save some of them. I am all things to all men so that I might save some of them. That means to the Jew, I'm like a Jew. He said to the Gentile, I'm like a Gentile. 
To those under the law, I'm like those under the law. To those not under the law, I'm like those not under the law. He's like, I know. Paul's like, I'm savvy. I'm culturally savvy. And Christians have to be culturally savvy, not stupid. And sometimes we do things in in culture that just stiff arm, that just like stiff arm other people when we ought to be hugging other people. You know, know, Ross, give me examples. I don't want to give you examples. Uh, There's so many examples to give. So you gotta, you got to move in, but you got to be different. Are you different? You know, you know Mo, Joseph, back to Joseph. Did you see where he was different? I talked about how he moved in. Did you see where Joseph was different? Oh, my Bible's over there, I guess I'll. Um, verse 41, and, and verse, chapter 41, verse 51 and 52. He named his kids. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. God has made me fruitful. When he named his kids, he said, you know what? I've taken enough Egyptian culture. I'm going to name my kids Hebrew names. And sometimes that's what you got to do as a person. You got to decide where you're going to be different than the culture. And he said, that's it. I'm not naming my kids Egyptian names. I'm giving, and I bet you they had Egyptian names too. Because that was their part of way, that, that, that were their way of moving in. But he gave them Hebrew names, and the Hebrew names are about God. So we know Joseph hasn't forgotten God. We know that he's in Egypt, but he's not of Egypt. Is that a hand clap? That's great. Yes, we can hand clap. Or was that a dip can? I cut, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he was in Egypt. <laughs> He was in Egypt, but he was not of Egypt. He was different. He was different in his names. The names indicate that his identity wasn't really in Egypt. His identity was the home country. His identity, he did not, he kept his soul. He would give you some things. He would say, all right, call me Zaphonath Panea, but you're not going to take my God from me. You're not going to take the things that matter most to me. I'll give you some formal things, but I, hey, I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to keep my soul. And some people, y'all been given too much. You've been given your soul. And you gotta keep, you gotta keep that stuff. You gotta keep your God. You gotta move in, but you gotta be different. We got to, and I and I don't know if I were to guess on which side we're falling as a culture, in Christian culture, I would guess we're falling too far on the side of not being different. And we've moved in quite well. Many of us have moved in quite well. You done good at that. Everybody give yourself a hand clap for moving in. You got a name that's American. It's easy. You want to feel awkward, you go to another country, then you realize you got a lot of moving in to do there if you're going to be an incarnational missionary. So be different. You got to move in, but you got to be different. You know, light is not even effective or useful if it's not different. Light is not effective or useful if it's not different. And the, 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 the effectiveness of light is directly connected to its distinguishability. You can distinguish between this and that. And the light, Jesus says we're, we're light. And if you're not different, you're not a light. And, and you're just going to have to shine. And you know who doesn't like it when you shine? The surrounding darkness does not like it when you shine because you're, you're, you're taking its thing. It likes darkness. And you're shining. And salt's the same way. Salt's different than your food. That's why it makes your food so much better. 
and you want to be the salt of the world, you want to make, you want to make things better, make people better, you're going to have to be different than them. And, and so you need to be thinking about, what is God convicting me? What is the Holy Spirit convicting me about being different than the world? And what's the Holy Spirit convicting me about how I need to move in to the world? We've got to do those two things. And, and it's not easy. And, and Jesus did not give us an easy faith. He gave a faith to grown-ups. And grown-ups are going to have to navigate things. Some people just want to make a bunch of laws and make Christianity, you know, isolate Christianity and make it, and make it formal and make it, you know. And some people just want Christianity to meld with the culture and, and it be like the culture so much that it actually loses its soul. Are you guys big enough to, to, navigate the, to navigate that line? And if you don't know the word of God and you don't know who you are, and you don't have your identity in heaven, and you don't know Christ, if you don't know these things, then you're just going to be like everybody else. End of story. You don't know where you stop and where they begin. It's just, it's just, it's just us. You know, have, you know, have a drink, to party, you know, have a drink. To, come on in, the water's fine. That's, that's the one I meant to say. Come on in, the water's fine. You know, you're just swimming in that water, and you, we can't tell the difference between you and everybody else. You don't want to be that person. So you got to move in. It's got to be different. Think about the people that influenced you the most. The people that influenced you the most are those people that were different. Think about the person that, that, that spoke into your life so that you were saved and, like, discipled you in the faith. If they weren't striking enough, salty enough, bright enough, it would have never got to you. The, you know, there's a sharpness to the truth. And I want to encourage us to push into that and to just welcome that and say, you know what, sometimes we're just going to be... We're just going to have to penetrate the darkness, and we're going to have to be different. And wisdom knows the difference. Wisdom knows the difference between the two. got to move in. Now, my, my mentor was Anthony, and, and I was mentored in evangelism in the inner city of Little Rock. And I remember my mentor sitting, showing me how to walk among the poor, walk among the homeless, and he said, and invite them to go pray. And we would invite them to the office, and we would go pray. And he would sit down, and we would talk. And he had this famous question that I just love. I've used it ever since. He says, how's your walk with the Lord? And when he first said it, I was embarrassed. I was like, whoa, you just got into the conversation real quick there. How's your walk with the Lord? This is a, this is a complete stranger. How's your walk with the Lord? He, had to, he showed me that you had to be, you got to be a little bold sometimes. You got to be a little striking sometimes. You got to come out and just say, I'm going to name my kids Ephraim and Manasseh because God has made me forget and God has made me fruitful. I, I'm going to I'm going to push in and be different. And Anthony showed me that if anybody's going to get saved, then I'm going to have to I'm going to have to throw the ball and try. I'm going to have to take a risk. And my bet is most of us in here are at fault in this area. The different the brightness, the saltiness, the light. It's interesting that the balance between the two is Jesus talks about in John 17, verses 14 and following. Um, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. There you go. They're not of the world. We've got to be different, don't we? But then Jesus says, just as I am not of the world, and then verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, Okay, well, we're not of the world. Why wouldn't you take us out? He said, I don't want you out, but that you keep them from the evil one. Okay, they are not of the world, 
just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus says, you're not of the world, and yet he says, I send you into the world. Jesus says, you're not of the world, and yet I send you into the world. That's the balance. I know you guys can handle it. Um, What's the third thing? The third thing that you need to do as an exile, as a witness in exile, is you need to get to work. Okay? You need to get to work. What did Joseph do for all those years while he was out of prison? And he had the prime minister position. Sit on a throne and tell people to bring him grapes? No. Joseph got to work. He is remembered for his work. He is, he is, all of these exiles, if you read their stories, they get to work. They have jobs to do in the real world. They have administration to do. They have governing to do. They have financial things to get to, to take care of. And so Joseph, he gets to work. He, say, he says that for seven years of, of plenty, he was storing grain in storehouses. And then for seven years of the famine, he was selling grain. So he was involved in, in getting it done and, and working. And so one of the things that we have to do if we're going to live successfully as exiles is we've got to go to work. And Jesus is saying, God is saying in this text that work is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And you're not like getting sidetracked when you're working. Because many of you know God called you to the work you're doing. And God doesn't just call preachers. God calls other people to work besides preachers. Do you know that? God doesn't just have to only call like fishers of men and evangelists and ministers and priests. He actually calls you to your vocation, to the job that you do because God cares about work. He cares about you doing, the th- doing something with your life, not just sitting there. And so in Joseph's life, he is actually busy working, and he, does, he lives till 110 years old. He's 80 years in the prime ministry. He's 80 years as second in command. Dude lived a life without retirement. He was busy at work. Now, was he a workaholic? I hope not. You might be. I might be. We don't need to be. I'm not saying that you should be a workaholic, but I am saying that God did say work six and rest one. I mean, we're, you're working more than you're resting. So work is, is something God created. He, when he made Adam, he put him in the garden, and he said, dress it and keep it. It's the old English way of saying, take care of the garden. He gave him some pruning shears, and he said, get to work. He, he, he made Adam in the garden before there was sin and the devil and all that mess. And he said, here's some pruning shears. Get to work. Create some viticulture. Get to work and enjoy the, enjoy the creation even while you improve it. He said, I want you to rule. And part of ruling means you're going to have to work. And work is something God invented before sin for us to enjoy as a part of our calling being made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. When God made us in his image, he said, I make you in my image and now go and rule. You want to know what it means to be made in the image of God? You were destined to rule. You were destined, you were destined to rule. And when you rule, and the way you rule is through work. And when you work, you are fulfilling, you are fulfilling the mandate of rule. And you are fulfilling what it means, fulfilling what it means to be in the image of God. And in that sense, work is kind of religious. Now, that goes over my head. If it doesn't go over yours, God bless you. You can say some things for some, and the rest of us are just going to sit a little ignorant. 
But somehow work can be religious in that we are doing what we are doing. We are made in the image of God and we're doing what we were destined to do. Okay. So anyways, work. God created us to work. And God wants, so the three things we got, does anybody remember the first one? You got to do what? You got the second one, you got to do what? And then the third one, you got to do what? Go to work. Can we do that? Give yourselves a hand clap. That's, that's great. I think we can do that. I think we can do that. Um, one thing about the work that he did was that he was saving lives. He was saving lives and he was doing justice. And so it's the kind of work you do is important. And if your work is not life affirming, then that's kind of bad work because it's not affirming God's creation, God's life. So God wants us not only to go to work, but he wants us to do work that's, that's helping people, serving people. And I, and I know most of you are in those, in those kinds of jobs, but they're, you know, protecting people. Military's not bad. Protecting people, doing what you have to do to, to affirm life. So the kind of work you do is important. And God has, he, he's called you to your vocation. Um, you know what's cool about Jesus is that uh, he worked for 30 years. Gee, well, it wasn't 30. He, in, his, in his preteens, in his, tw- in his 20s, in his teens, he worked as a what? Does anybody know what Jesus was? He was making fences. He was making tables. He was making chairs. He was making houses. He was building it and getting it done. Can you imagine? Does your Jesus have sweat on his brow? My Jesus does. And part of our salvation is connected to him working as a carpenter. And I don't know how to explain that. But I do know that it says that in, in the Bible, it says that he grew in favor with God and with man. And he did that through his work. And how did he gain favor with God? How did he gain favor with man? He did it through his work. And how was, so he was a witness through his work before he was a witness of the kingdom of God. And that's the same thing with you and I. We are witnesses through our work. And the way we do our work is very much our legacy and how we're going to be remembered and how we're going to witness. So as you're coming to the table today, I want you to remember those three things. And if you have any uh, need for prayers, me and Trey and I think Cheryl will be over here during the next three songs as we worship. um, Father in heaven, um, just want to again say come. We've heard your word and now we want to worship. And we thank you, Father, for this time to be together. And I, I pray, God, that you'll convict people about where they need to move deeper in and convict people about where they need to be different and convict people concerning work and working well. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph, but mainly we thank you for Jesus who spent his early days working just like us. And we can relate to that Jesus. We can worship that Jesus, and that's what we do now. Amen.